If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a 7 West Media podcast. We live in a time of great change where there's a feeling of uncertainty and a sense that everything is moving a little too fast. And we live in a world where the traditional roles of fathers have been radically transformed. Now, we're more involved in the raising of our kids than we've ever been. And with that comes new pressures, new expectations, new ideals of what dads should be. The modern man in the modern world. And for a lot of us, that's bloody hard. I know that because I speak from experience. My name is Alex Cullen. I'm a reporter and presenter with The Seven Network and the flagship public affairs program, Sunday Night. But now, first and foremost, I'm a dad. A dad to six-month-old twin girls. And I'll be honest, folks, it's hard work. (laughs) It really is. And it's hard work also for my wonderful wife, Bonnie. And for us, life has changed dramatically. But of one thing I am certain, being a dad to my two new little people is the most important thing to me. And since I sat in the radiologist's room staring at a screen with my wife's belly covered in ultrasound gloop, listening to that surreal information that I was going to be a father of not one, but two children, I've been pretty overwhelmed. It's crazy. It is seriously, (laughs) it's crazy. And I, like many dads, need help. Every day is a challenge, and now I realize that I'm on a journey that I'm not really that very well prepared for, and that is why, dads, I'm here talking to you. So every week on this podcast, we're going to talk to people who've traveled this road before. We'll have we'll have dads talking about their experience, um, what they're going through, but also experts, and that's important because we want to hear from the experts and, and what they're studying and what they're researching and what we can learn from them as dads in the 21st century. We'll talk to famous dads, not so famous dads, dads from all walks of life, talking and learning together. So come with me, come with me on this journey we call fatherhood, because this podcast is as much for me as it is for you. I want to be the best dad I can be, and I want to have all the tools, all the information that I need to equip me to be good at being dad. Our first episode is dealing with a subject that will be the focus for many of our shows, mental health. And specifically, we're looking at postnatal depression, or PND. The birth of your new little person is supposed to be life-changing and joyous. It's supposed to be the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. It's always life-changing, but not always joyous. I spoke to Dad Israel Smith who at the time was a successful photographer with his own business, about how after his second child's birth, he realised things were not going too well for him. Here he is. Welcome, Israel Smith. 
Thank you so much, Alex. It's so great to have you here with us. Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, I'm 41. I'm a dad of two delightful humans. I've got a 13-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son. Let's really get to the, the, the guts of it here. And I know that you suffered greatly from PND. That's right, yeah. Um, so. for, for a long, long time. And you're back from the brink, you've beaten it, you're, you're back. But let's go back to that time. Just tell me tell me what it felt like. Tell me how, how bad it, it really got. Yeah, sure. So my experience sort of started after my second child, my son, was born. And, and I'd had like biggest year on record leading up to that as far as busy and active and, and, and pushing really hard in a lot of different areas. But I kind of found that by the end of that year, we were actually on holidays in Crescent Head where we now live. And, and I felt like we'd stopped and I'd unwound and I'd decompressed from the busy year as you do over the Christmas break. And then we came back to Sydney in January and I just couldn't start again. I just was completely flat. I had no energy, no motivation, no interest in pursuing the business that we'd been building for seven or eight years by that point. I was a professional photographer. We did a lot of family portraiture and weddings and that kind of thing. And I'd, I'd achieved a lot in a very short amount of time, but I just felt like I just couldn't be bothered. I wanted to wrap everything up, throw it all away, go pack shelves at the nearest supermarket, you know? And and was that was that like not being able to get out of bed in the morning? Like, What were some of the examples? Uh, it, it showed up in a few different ways. Part of it was that. Part of it was just, oh, I just want to pull the head under the covers and just not get up and face the day. Um, part of it was a desire to just stay up until stupid o'clock watching mind-numbing television and eating uh, block after block of, you know, kilogram family chocolate sort of pieces, you know, and- Drinking? Alcohol? Uh, not much. I've never really been a huge alcohol drinker, although I did have a little. Um, but yeah, just, I suppose just all the all the junk food and all the crappy behaviours that we indulge in when we're feeling a little bit sorry for ourselves. But I think the other part of it was just there was this this- underlying uh, kind of uh, actually kind of oscillated between rage and fury and anger at where I was at and why I just couldn't figure this out and I couldn't get on top of all of these circumstances. But then the flip side of that was there was a lot of hopelessness. There was a feeling of just, oh, what, what's the point? You know, where ha- I can't figure this out. I don't even know why I should bother. You know, it was a really, um, a really, oh, difficult sort of period to navigate and to try and make sense of it all. And this is at a time when, when business is good, you've got your two kids, you should be flying. Oh, look, 100%. I mean, there was there was a few other really interesting factors as well. So yeah, the business was going great, although that particular January we started to, to lose a little bit of money through to a few other things. And so there was a few pressures financially, but then also um, my wife had had a freak accident about five weeks after our son was born where she cut off part of her little finger on one of her hands in a sliding door. Just she tripped and fell, it slammed, it crunched, it was gone. And and so she had her arm in a cast with that all bandaged up for at least five or six weeks while she was nursing our brand new five-week-old son. Um, we had to call in help from family. And so she'd gone through all of this. She'd delivered him with no drugs and all that. She's a bit of a superstar. And she's kind of looking at me going, well, I've just gone through all this. What the hell's wrong with you? You know, so there was that real interesting divide between us that was starting to form as well. So it felt like, I, you know, we'd previously been such a solid married couple and there was definitely a feeling of distance. There was a feeling that my wingman's not my wingman anymore. I'm, I'm sort of in this alone because I'm mm-hmm. feeling all these things and I can't communicate it clearly to her to help her understand that I need help. And how did you, like, how did you recognize it? How did you, how did you know that, 
this was a real thing, that this was PND? Oh, I didn't for quite a while. So I started feeling pretty on edge, yeah, maybe around the time my son was born, October 2010-ish, you know, and then I, I say to the, I sort of held on with my fingernails right through the Christmas period, which is our busiest period in the business. Came back from the holiday, couldn't get started and just felt really flat and really, really uh, not interested. But then it was probably, uh, it probably took until maybe February, March before I, I basically was confronted by my wife and she said, something's wrong. Clearly, we're having all these arguments. You don't want to do any of this anymore. You want to throw away everything we've built for seven or eight years. I don't know what's wrong with you. You don't seem to be able to articulate to me what's wrong with you. You need to call someone and talk to someone that you care about that you can have a really open chat with. And that was where things started to get closer to identifying what was going on. So, so that, How did you react to that? Did you go, hang on, no, I'm fine? No, I didn't because I knew that I wasn't. I knew that I wasn't right. fine. I was quite clear that yeah, this is not me. This is not who I am. I'm not normally falling asleep at the dinner table and screaming at the kids about the tiniest thing and and not motivated and not happy. I felt like I was in this pit, and I literally didn't know how to climb out of it. So that feeling, um, it kind of left me. And and I suppose the the start of the feeling of isolation from my wife as well. And we'd faced a lot together in our marriage to that point with both children, with a couple of miscarriages, with some near bankruptcies in our business. We'd faced some tough things and always done it together as a united front. And this was the first experience of me feeling like my right hand isn't here anymore. You know, there's this this thing. But um, but what really made the difference when, when she said that, I sort of went, oh, yeah, you're probably right. I probably do need to talk to someone because I felt in my head I was rationalizing not talking to her about it as I didn't want to burden her. She was nourishing and nurturing our kid and and looking after this brand new baby in our family, keeping my daughter well nourished and looked after, getting her off to school in the morning. And I was trying to carry our business and take mm. care of stuff. And yeah, I didn't want to burden her with that. I didn't want to be that guy who's sort of going, I don't know how to do this. I can't cope. Um, and so I kept it to myself, but then the follow on from that was obviously the more I thought I was protecting her and shielding her, the more I was withdrawing myself, I now realize. And so that's why she's saying, I can't reach you. I can't get to you. You've kind of walled off somewhere in your head. And when she said, you need to talk to someone else and you can't talk to me, that was when it really became clear to me. I can't talk to her about this. Why, why can't I talk to her? And then I started thinking, well, who can I ring? And so I rang my stepdad because we've always had a very, blunt, very open conversation. Um, and, and it was a really pivotal phone call. Actually, it was one of those ones where I just, I actually in that moment on the phone, they said, how are you going? I said, Oh, look, I need to have a chat. I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm not coping. I'm not coping. And, and that moment to me was where I really admitted to myself, I don't have the answers for this and I'm not dealing with it. And it was at that point that I think admitting that and, openly to another human, to my stepdad, to say, I, I'm not coping right now. I, you know, I don't want to run this business anymore. I'm struggling to be a decent dad and a decent husband. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm sad. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm all these things. I don't know why. And I'm just not handling everything that we're trying to achieve at the moment and everything. We're, I, I can't even just sort of do the normal stuff. Mm. What, a, what a, a huge step, you know, to do that and admit to yourself that, yeah, I've got well, I'm not coping, mm. and then reach out like that. And I think, and I, I nodded profusely when you said, um, "I didn't want to burden anyone 
I, and I think so many of us do that. We don't. We don't want to burden anyone. Oh, it's it's the the Aussie male uh, classic narrative. You know, yeah. we're all right. We can do it. Buck up. You know, stiff upper lip, pommy mm. thing. Like all of those things have all led into this stereotypical behaviour of men in Australia. And I would say probably not just Australia, but I think it just, you know, it just it seems to be um, something that's quite prevalent. You know, she'll be right, mate. She'll be right. Yeah, it won't be no. a lot of the time. <laughs> unless you do something, unless you talk to someone, which you did, which is just yeah. so, so good. Um, and, and and so what happened? Did did, did did it make a difference? Oh, look, yeah, it did instantly. I mean, he, he gave me, my, my stepdad, Pete, who I love dearly, gave me this, this profound and profoundly simple piece of advice. He said, mate, you've got two choices in front of you. Number one, figure out what the problem is and fix it. Number two, if you don't know what the problem is and you can't figure that out, get some help to figure out the problem and then fix it. So from there, I um, spoke with my wife some more and I said to her, okay, I've just had this chat with Pete and he's given me some great advice and I'm open to having a conversation about how do we get this sorted out because clearly I'm not myself at the moment. And then it all happened really quickly. That phone call was on a Friday I had a wedding to photograph on the Saturday and I'd came home after that at, I don't know, 8.30, 9 o'clock, I think I finished up and walked in the door and my wife had been, she'd put the kids to bed and been Googling on things like, um, I think the Beyond Blue website and a few other places online with some great diagnostic assisting tools and things for depression. And and she said very gently, very carefully, she, you know, she sat me down with a nice cooked meal and shoes off in front of the TV and, and she said, sweetheart, I, I've been doing a bit of reading and I, I don't want to put any pressure on here. I'm, I'm very, you know, conscious that you've just worked all day and you're tired and stuff. But, but if you've got a minute, if, if you have and you're open to this, would you mind just having a look at what I found? I think you might find it interesting. It was very, you know, stepping on eggshells, very cautious, you know, <laughs> don't enrage the bear kind of thing. And, and I, I read this or I, I did this questionnaire online and it was like someone had peeled the inside of my brain out and stuck it on the screen in front of me. It was that um, matched up that in sync. I felt like, oh my God, this is exactly how I'm feeling. How do these people who wrote this know this? I couldn't put it together that, that this wasn't just a unique experience to me, that this was something that happened elsewhere. And that was so liberating to go, wow, I'm not the only person who's felt like this. Other people have been through this. And it instantly gave me this sense of, it's got a name. It's called depression. It's, it's something other people go through as well. Uh, there's there's treatment available. There's hope. There's hope. There's a little glimmer now of of how do I get out of this pit that I'm in, you know. And that that was great. That was such an amazing experience. So I went, okay, cool. Now I think this thing has a name. There'll be dads listening to this, going, "Yes, that's me. That's how I feel." Um, can you can you tell us what you'd recommend? Um, what, what sort of resources should we be accessing if we're mm. feeling like you were feeling? So there's a couple of things. I mean, the first thing for me is. Um, as, as a fellow dad who has gone through this, I would say it's absolutely not a sign of weakness to ask for help. And it's absolutely the best thing you can do for your family to seek help, you know, as, as a number one, it's, you know, the, the way mental illness works is it tends to skew our perception of what's rational and what's reasonable. And, uh, and, and I, in that, in that darkness, didn't think rationally about the fact that I was distancing myself from my wife in in an attempt to not be a burden to her. But had I said to her earlier, I'm actually not dealing with this real well and I think I need to get some help, before it reached crisis point, I think we would have had a very different journey through things. 
and we would have perhaps been on the same page much earlier in the piece before it reached critical emergency stage. So I would say to all the dads listening, please, please don't be afraid. Be be strong as I know you are to ask for help and to allow yourself that little bit of vulnerability that opening up in this way can be the path out of the way you're feeling. And then I would absolutely say check out all of the incredible resources online. There's the Beyond Blue website for just uh, kind of uh, anxiety and depression. There's Panda, who I've done a lot of work with, the the, um, the Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Association. So, you know, looking up those websites, uh, Panda, Beyond Blue, Black Dog, all these wonderful mental health institutions is a great place to start for, I suppose, anonymous, easy to find material to read and to feel validated that you're not alone. There are other people that have gone through this. And then get straight on the phone to your GP. And to that dad is is in the depths of anxiety and depression, he's back against the wall. You know, you're not alone, right? Absolutely. You're not alone. You're absolutely not alone. There are other people who have gone through this before you who have come out of it. There are other people who are going through this as well who you can lean on for support as you both work your way out of it. There's, yeah, there's an enormous array of things that you can do to make peace with this, to get treatment for this, and to become the person you used to be and get through this. And be a better dad. Be a better dad. <laughs> Israel Smith, um, thank you so much for this. You, you are an inspiration, um, to say the least. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Alex. And I mean, the reason I do this is for the hope that it will help a dad somewhere not go through the same grief I went through. So it's always a delight. Thank you, Israel. What an amazing bloke Israel is and just such a pleasure to talk to him. And he continues to advocate for men who suffer from PND whilst running his new enterprise, The Root Cause, helping to get kids to make healthy food choices. Check him out at israelsmith.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, we've heard from someone who's suffered from PND, so let's hear from someone who treats men with PND. I spoke to James Brown. He's a practicing psychologist who lectures at the University of Southern Queensland, researching, specialising in the issues affecting dad's mental health. I spoke to him via the magic of the internet, so please excuse the quality of the sound. Hello, James. How are you doing? Good, mate. How are you? Doing all right, yes. Look, we've been talking a lot about sort of the mental health aspects of, um, of fatherhood, and a lot of us get down. Um, a lot of us find it pretty hard to admit that we're down. I, I admit sometimes I do, and I think a lack of sleep plays into that a lot. But, but James, in your work, I mean, do, do dads get 
PND. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've been seeing men uh, with that presentation now for quite some time. Um, and uh, funny enough, they're usually sent to get help by their wives or mother-in-laws, uh, which is an irony there. Um, and they do report a lot of those symptoms that are quite, you know, well known and understood as being um, depression and very much connected yeah. to their experience of, uh, you know, becoming new dads and the, and the strains that that can cause on them. And so why do you think dads can get so down in, in what should be such an exciting time in our lives? We should be flying, right? But sometimes you think, hang on, we're, um, we're not coping too well. well. I think two things that, uh, that we've been learning a lot about with this whole area of postnatal depression for men, uh, the first is that it has to do with um, the fact that by being invited into that picture uh, a lot more than what they were traditionally, so because our society is really encouraging this idea of involved fathering from from the get-go, they're, yeah. they're therefore um, experiencing the, the strains and the struggles of what is entailed with that from, from that uh, process. And so, yeah, you mentioned sleep and, and that's a, a really big hitter for mental health. And so you've got guys out there, they, yeah, they should be the most excited, you know, men on earth having beautiful young babies and excited about their role as fathers, but they're, uh, sleep deprived as, as, as we know, mothers have been suffering from <laughs> sleep deprivation for years. So they're, they're sleep deprived. They're, they're getting up for nightly feeds and changing nappies and they're trying to be really involved. And then they're getting up the next day and heading off to work and, and, and feeling that strain. And then the second thing is, is it's something that we know about men generally, and that is that they're not as great at seeking help. They're not as great as yeah. putting up their hand and saying, I'm struggling. So they're heading to work, putting on a brave face and um, putting on a brave face, and they're probably just not letting people know that they're, they're struggling a bit and they need a hand. Mm. How do we fix that? How do we remove that whole, oh, I can't ask for help, you know, I've got to, you know, be the rock and, and, and stay the course? It's actually conversations like this one. Um, I'm, I'm really, yeah. really, really pleased to, to hear of this being done and to be, be invited to comment on this because what we know is that men, re- men respond really well to seeing other men be the champion, be the person that stood up and, and led the way and, and said, hey, yeah. follow me. Um, and, and it invites men to be courageous and to say it's okay when they see other men do that. And, uh, you know, we've seen that in the sporting world when a lot of uh, famous sporting figures have said, you know, hey, I, I've struggled, I've suffered. And when they've stepped forward and acknowledged that, um, other men have taken a lot of courage from that. So uh, that's one thing um, that can really, really change things. And then... The other thing that we know about uh, this whole experience is that um, of, of being a parent and being a young parent, having a child, that sort of thing, is that um, we need to try to influence um, those that are on the treatment and caring end, you know, the health professionals, uh, to be a lot more father-focused, father-friendly in their inviting mm-hmm. of men to not only be a part of the birthing experience and, and all the rest, but also to part of the support experience to make sure that the men are themselves handling that transition well and receiving help and to detect early signs that maybe they're struggling. Yeah. Because we're, we're a lot more present now, aren't we? Like compared to say 30 years ago. Yep. And we're, well, I guess we're expected to be now too. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, all four of my, my children, so I've got four kids and the youngest is 10. And in every birthing experience to, to the credit of the midwives that were involved, they immediately every time got me right involved in that birthing experience and you know made me feel that I was as important as anybody else in the room so um, 
uh, other than my wife, of course, who was the most important person <laughs> in that room. But in terms of the yeah. support people in that room, uh, was made to feel from the get go how important I was there to be there. And, um, and that's, that's just wonderful that that does happen. But, you know, from the process after the birth, um, it's very rare that a dad will be asked, how is he going? You know, when, when they, when they yeah. take the child in for a checkup, um, there's a lot of attention on the mum and, and understandably there might be some medical reasons and other things as well. Um, very rarely will a guy be asked, and how are you going and how are you managing this transition to parenthood? And we really know that the transition to parenthood is actually very, very critical for, critical for both father and child. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone's asked me. Yeah, it's funny. That's so true. Mm. You just sort of meant to, um, as I said before, put up and shut up, I guess. Mm. And mm. and your background, so you've got four kids, your youngest is 10, what about the others? Uh, the oldest is about to turn 20 and then a 17 uh, girl and uh, so two boys at the ends, mm-hmm. oldest and youngest, and then two girls in the middle, about 17 and 15. Wow. Hands full. Yes, very. Yeah, yeah. You're a clinical psychologist and you've chosen to sort of go down the, the fatherhood, the dad's uh, road. Why, why have you done that? Why are you focusing on, on fatherhood? Well, so, yeah, I was out practicing for, you know, many years uh, in and just in that time I just saw a lot of men, you know, and I just became – very aware of of the struggles um, with men in mental health generally and and the fact that they weren't as good seeking help for themselves and I especially became quite passionate about the role of, of fathering in two ways so the benefits to the children of involved fathering and and also the benefits to, to men of being involved as fathers themselves and so I decided that um, you know sort of after 15 years or so out that it was a good time of my career to go back and, and do some further study, do a PhD, and just that was that was my topic area. And, you know, it was also they say when you do a PhD you should do something that you're passionate about and, and there really isn't much else that matters to me more than, than being a father and, and having a family. Also, James, anxiety. Do we get anxiety too? Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and sometimes people argue that anxiety and depression, you know, are, are you know, sort of parts of the same experience. Um, they have lots of commonality between them. They're not as distinctly separate. And yeah, absolutely. And, and fears, particularly with young children, young babies, some guys have not had any contact with young babies. I don't know if, if you did before having twins, but mm. to hold a baby, Limited. to change a baby, you know, we, and we can sometimes have um, people tell us things that freak us out a bit about what we're doing and making mistakes. And I think a lot of guys have had that experience of feeling like um, because they've traditionally been made to feel like it's not their domain, they're not the experts. They sometimes approach parenting, particularly young babies, with a lot of fear, fear of making a mistake, doing it wrong. Um, yeah, I found that totally. Yeah. yeah, like the older generation is sort of like, oh, what, what are you doing that for? Um, yeah. That's that's yeah. the women's job. But so, well, no, I, I want to do this. I want to be part of this. And, uh, yeah, I guess, again, it's, it's sort of changing, isn't it? It's changed from the 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, I think for a lot of dads that can – that can breed that anxiety of, you know, what if I screw this up and, you know, what if I make a mistake? And that that's, you know, what anxiety sounds like, doesn't it? That what if kind of voice in the head. Yeah. And um, if we're not sleeping well, that can really start to brew up into a lovely mixture of anxiety and, and, and it's not a great feeling. What, what are some of the worst cases you've seen, like, you know, the, the dads that are really, you know, doing it tough? Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's how I would describe some of the worst cases is, is dad, dad's doing really tough. I, I've particularly seen, um, over my time clinically, some, some men come in and, and, you know, 
after a little bit of get to know you, um, really just break down. And it's been the first time that they've had somebody listen to their experience. And, and up until that point, they've been trying to do that classic masculine stoicism, just toughing it out and not talking about it and they get into my room and I've had plenty of times where it's been a little bit unsettling for them when they've finally let it all gush out and just say I'm struggling and um and for that to be okay to talk through that and how does that how does that stress manifest in a dad's life uh, sometimes for guys, um, it, it, it's we, we tend to be a little bit more prone to the anger side of the spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. We can sometimes, you know, have a bit of road rage. You know, you know, we're stressed out about things, in, and we tend to uh, withdraw a little bit and, and internalize and, and sort of stew in our own juices quite a lot. And and that that's mm-hmm. not a great space to be. And time mm-hmm. time doesn't stop for us as well. Like we often, no. as, as young parents, and and many of us are you know dual income families, so often our partners have you know by about six months let's say or even four months might have gone back to work even part-time or full-time and so both of us as parents not only is it that kind of stress and pressure about dealing with the immediate um, of let's say a child that's really unsettled or not well but it's the flow-on effects of and how do I get up the next day and how do I face this and oh I've got this meeting and that meeting and that that collective sense of being overwhelmed and and and, uh, the pressure of modern life can be quite difficult for for parents. God, that was me last night, James. Mm, probably <laughs> no, a lot of, about 60 or 70% of us every Sunday night, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, totally. On a Sunday night, you know, you're like, what have I got on this week? I've got, you know, what, what time are the girls going to wake up? Um, how am I going to, how much sleep am I going to get before I have to drive an hour and a half, two hours to Sydney? You know, all these things were in my head last night. It was driving me mad. Yeah. 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 And notice a few times we've mentioned this, this whole sleep factor. We underestimate yeah. that. I mean, in some of the treatment scenarios of, of both my and, and of, of fathers, um, one of the biggest things that can make the most difference is just getting a regular good night's sleep, and that's so hard to achieve with young babies. Yeah. And so, so how do we how do we um, start to feel better again? Uh, um, how, where do we go? What can we access? Who can we talk to? Well, I think before we start talking about the the sort of more professional end of what's available i think it's important to start to think about what's more immediately available and there's some um great groups that have started out there um by you know fathers just like ourselves that have said hey there doesn't seem to be a lot of support for me Mm. and so some guys have had the idea well you know i'll start my own and some groups have arisen out of that idea so there's one group called dad's group incorporated or dad's group inc and um, they, they received some funding and they've been pretty clever and set themselves up fairly well. And, uh, you know, there's others like it where they've started with this idea of, well, you know, there's mother's groups out there. Why aren't there father's groups out there? And, and, and let's make it happen. And Definitely. so, you know, a lot of these guys have said, well, let's, let's create a space for guys. And so that's what these sorts of groups do. And so young fathers, even before the, the baby is born, um, they can start to attend the group and mm. go along and meet the other guys. And then once the baby's born, it's a place that they can go, um, meet at a park, meet over coffee, take their baby in a pram and, and chat with other guys about their fathering experiences. And I, I think that's fantastic. And that's what I think immediately we need to see more of. If, if men could have mentoring and support by other men mm. in, their, in their role of fathering, I think we'd see less of a need for clinical uh, help like for somebody like myself I think we'd see that yeah. for a lot of men they would feel support and they'd feel normalized by that experience yeah. um, and so that's what I think more immediately 
um, before we start to then acknowledge that, yeah, sure, a GP is a great person that might pick up on, you know, when somebody goes in for a, a health check with their baby, mm. um, to just ask a few questions of, of, the, of the dad to say, you know, how are you traveling and how's work, you know, and, you know, just start the conversation just to elicit some details as to how they're doing with transitioning to that role of parenting. And, and if there's some concerns and they might direct them to get some help. And how do we recognize it in ourselves? I mean, a shorter temper. What, what, how do we know that we're? Oh, hang on, I've got a bit of P and D here. Well, it's 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 essentially um, think of it as the same as you know a lot of the signs of depression that we're aware mm. of. Um, and the reason why we talk about it as being postnatal depression is more to give acknowledgement to it being quite reactive to a, a set of circumstances that comes with you know transitioning to, to parenting. But you know, it's the the low mood, the irritability, the the difficulty with sleeping, the the loss of appetite, or the or the ravenous eating more than you would normally, um, the withdrawal from the normal things that give you pleasure, mm. and uh, and and all of those other things that collect into that sort of category of what we have come to understand as being depression. Um, you know, the hard thing with postnatal depression is, you know, some of those are very much reactive to the circumstances like sleep, like withdrawal, uh, loss of interest in what you normally love to do. You know, part of that is just by the sheer fact that you're going through a, a period of life that in and of itself is, is very difficult. Yeah. But if we, if we notice those things, we can do something about it earlier and we can start to correct it and we can help ourselves to pull through. Yeah, and I think also talking to your partner too and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm struggling here." That's got to yeah. be important. Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, it's it's really interesting in my experience how often that has been so well received. You know, by the father just opening up to his partner and saying, "I'm struggling." Mm. I've had so many um, experiences of how that opened up a really wonderful conversation between the two of them rather than feeling like, you know, I've got to keep this together for the other one, you know, that kind of attitude. Uh, help them to come together more and realise that they were both in it together and suffering together and they could, they could help each other to get the, the, the supports they needed or just support each other better. If we do need, you know, to go that next step and to access those resources, where, where are the, some of the places we can go? Well, so primarily, um, most of the psychology services in Australia are um, funneled through a GP. So, so yeah, the yeah. idea is go to a GP, and then they will give you a referral to somebody that is uh, appropriate to your circumstances and what you need. So, GPs are a great uh, first point of call. And is, is there a mental health plan that a doctor can give you? Yeah, for any um, mental health difficulty, a GP can um, provide you a mental health care plan. And again, that's that's why they're a good starting point. And what that enables you is uh, up to 10 sessions with a psychologist each year um, for yeah. which you receive a rebate back for each session. Brilliant. Mm. That is good to know. Yes. Yeah, we're very lucky. We, we have some good services out there. Well, and I guess the fact that we're talking about it now, that, that's a good thing, right? Um, mm. And I guess the more we talk about it, as you say, the, the more normal it is for, for dads to, if they are struggling, put their hand up and say, I need some help. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost to say, if you want to be an involved dad, um, wonderful, your child will love you for it, but be prepared for the fact that it comes with a few battle scars and it's tough and, and we're here for you. We're here to give you some support. There are people out there, um, including your own friends and, friends and family, um, that can be a really good support network for you to help you to have a, a successful experience in your fathering. Awesome. Well, James, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, you've got a blog or anything like that or a website? 
Yeah, um, I've got a little one that I've started just to help support my research activities. So that's jamesbrown.net.au. And then I'm uh, also a staff member of the University of Southern Queensland, so I can be found through the University of Southern Queensland's website as well. So the message is pretty clear. You are not alone. We are not alone. If you think you might be suffering from PND, please don't hesitate. Don't, don't wait for it to get worse. Get help. Please get help. Put your hand up. Take the anxiety and depression checklist test at beyondblue.org.au to see if you fit the criteria. In the show notes, you'll find all the details of everything we've talked about, including Panda, Beyond Blue, Black Dog, Lifeline, and numerous other resources to help you get back on track. Also, if you go to our Facebook page and like Being Dad, we'll put links to all that we've spoken about today up on our Facebook page. So please give us a like. That would be fantastic. And if you have anything, anything at all you want us to talk about, please leave us a message or just post it on our feed. Thank you for listening. Subscribe on Acast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please share and give us five stars so that other dads out there who want to listen to us can find us. I'm Alex Cullen. Join me next time as I talk to other dads about their experiences of being dad. This was a Seven West production. The producer is Jake Taylor and the executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.